0: I couldn't blame my father for the famine or our troubles, but for the next week, I couldn't look him in the eyes. Whenever I did, I saw the rest of my life. Powerful words coming from William Wakamba. This is... The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, Part Three. If you're not caught up from the first two parts, I'll give you a little overview and I highly recommend you go listen to those as actually extracted some really powerful lessons, which is what we do here at the Modern Academy. I read around a book a day pace and extract lessons and provide them to you. And we usually do around three podcasts a day one five, one ten, and one fifteen minute each three episodes. And we're continuing on with Part Three, so a little catch up. And uh, just an overview of what we covered in part one and two. William Wakamba is living in Malawi. This is a true story of a boy who grew up in the nation of Malawi, has 11 million people at that time. Only two percent had electricity. There's corrupt government, corrupt officials, barely any law, and they live in this this area where they still believe in witch doctors, spirits, things like this, and. Uh, Basically, they went through this huge famine, and William, um, who has a thirst for knowledge, thirst for learning, which we all do here at the Modern Academy, he he was able to basically, well, his family didn't have any money, they didn't have any food, so he wasn't able to afford going to school. So what he actually did was he found a library where Americans had donated books, and he began reading. His thirst for knowledge was so, so powerful and, you know, his hope is to go back to school and but since they can't pay for it, um, it's, it's very hard on them. And his father basically begged the school, the, the people at the school to allow them a little extra time. And this is what happens. He says, by the time the last trader left pushing a bicycle laden with our tobacco, only one sixty-five kilogram bale was left hanging under the shelter. My father loaded it into a pickup and took it to the Auction Holdings Limited in Ligonue. wherever he received where he received around 80 U.S. cents a kilo. Isn't that insane? 80 U.S. cents a kilo. But out of that 65 kilos of tobacco, only 50 were worthy grade for the floor. So to put this in context, again, super poor family, super poor nation, um, 2% had electricity, 11 million people, and pretty much everyone was a farmer. And there, uh, during this famine period they went through, there was no help from the government. And they, the government didn't even recognize it and basically just turned a blind eye on them for five months till the uh, they announced on... They, barely anybody can listen to the radio in this area, but they had these uh, little battery-powered radios that they'd power with these dynamo bikes. And uh, they were able to hear, like, five months after this famine had been going on, people had been dying. It had been a horrible period in Malawi. Um, he finally recognized it as an emergency, which is so... It just shows the corruption and, and horridness. Okay, so out of that 65 kilos of tobacco, only about 50 were worthy of the grade floor. So think about that, 80 cents per kilo, and only 50 were grade for the floor. After transport costs and government taxes, around 7%, my father came home with around 2,000 Kawacha. And you can do the math in your head on that. It was just enough to cover my school fees. But, the, and that just shows you just how poor they were. They'd be nothing left for the necessities at home, such as cooking oil, salt, soap, medicine, if anyone got sick. Once again, we were broke. My father tried to negotiate with Mr. Tembo. Mr. Tembo's the uh, headmaster at the school. But W.M. Fury was uh, already forbidden me to return. That's another one. He's basically the minister of education was visiting various schools to ensure that all students had paid their fees. If we're caught, said Mr. Tembo, some people could lose their jobs. I was sitting in a chair in the yard and my father returned with the bad news. His eyes were pale and troubled as if he'd wrestled with a ghost. I recognized the look on his face. It was one I knew well. I've done my best, my father said, but the famine took everything. He kneeled down to face me. Please understand me, son. Papani Kambare, your father tried. It was too difficult to look at him. Chabayono, I said, I understand. At least with daughters, like my sister Annie, a father can hope they'll marry a husband who can provide home and food, even help them continue their schooling. But with a boy, it's different. My education meant everything to my father. That night, he told my mother he'd failed his only son. Today, he said, I'm a failure to my family. Powerful, powerful words. Really let that sink in. This causes me emotion. I mean, it's one of the saddest things for a father to fail his son. Wow. So I'm a failure to my whole family, he says. I couldn't blame my father for the famine or troubles. But for the next week, I couldn't look him in the eyes. Whatever I did, I saw the rest of my life. My greatest fear was coming true. I would end up just like him, another poor Mowallon farmer laboring in the soil, thin and dirty, with hands as rough as animal hides and feet that knew no shoes. I loved my father and respected him deeply, but I did not want to end up like him. If I did, my life would never be determined by me, but by rain and the price of fertilizer and seeds. I would do what every Mowallon was supposed to do. What was written by God in the Constitution, I would grow maize, and if I was lucky, maybe a little tobacco. In years when the crops were good and there were a little extra to sell, perhaps I could buy some medicine and a new pair of shoes. But most of the time, I knew there would be hardly enough to simply survive. My future was chosen, and thinking about it now scared me so much I wanted to be sick. What could I do? Nothing. Only accept putting things in context, truly, you know, currently we're going through the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And I mean, think about this, this nation had no it was basically like this in way like 20, probably 100 times worse than what our current situation is. No electricity, like they said, you know, they, they had to go to bed around 730 at night because they had no electricity. And this is really the story of William innovating, using his thirst for knowledge using self learning, which is what we're all about here at the Modern Academy. And using this to actually he he ends up building a windmill and that's kind of what we're getting to it's so interesting so harvests are the time to remember your sacrifice it's so true I re, i've recorded episodes in this podcast about seasonality of life you know kind of seeing it summer fall winter spring how obviously it doesn't have to be those actual times in your life but how life has these cycles and you can really learn from nature as far as this goes so he says you know they talk about um, this harvesting time when uh, hopefully they they'll belly, their bellies will be full because they've been starving and going through this famine. And he says harvest our time to remember your sacrifice, and they sacrificed so much. We all laughed about it. Now because I was only during a, ch- so uh, oh, so they were finally able to eat and they were kind of happy and joking around after multiple months. I think it was like over six months in this famine, and uh, you know. The his, William's mother said, hey, Papa, you were looking so skinny. And you, Mama, my father joked, I see you're finally coming back to us. But William, eh, I was worried a strong wind was going to carry that boy from the field. So that just like depicts how skinny and starving they were. And they were still able to see it in a lighthearted way. And he says, we all laughed about it now because it was only during better times. We would truly acknowledge bad ones. Powerful, powerful things, and it, it holds true in any situations so <clears throat> um, this is so we had talk, I was talking about the windmill thing, so William had gone to this uh, library because he couldn 't go to the school he, they couldn 't afford it, and he started this thirst for knowledge, thirst for reading, and he had started this little business where basically they would uh, fix people 's little battery powered radios because remember obviously there 's no like places to input electricity, so they use these dynamo bikes to, uh, power things. You know, it's kind of like those, uh, crank flashlights. Have you ever seen those or pretty much anything? Basically the fundamental of those technologies is, uh, the mechanics behind it is it's just creating kinetic energy to power things. So he became so interested in this book. That's, uh, I think it was like creating electricity. I can't remember the exact book's name, but, uh, nobody had ever checked it out of the library, which was pretty interesting. And what, what ended up showing is, uh, his thirst for this led to him wanting to build this, uh, <clears throat> this windmill. And he says, uh, no matter how enchanted I became in the scrapyard, and he was looking for uh, parts basically to build this. He used the diagrams found in the uh, book. So no matter how enchanted I became in the scrapyard, my wonderful moods never lasted long. The students across the street in the schoolyard could easily see me banging away on metal. When I wasn't being careful, they'd even hear me talking to myself. When I walked out Carrying windmill pieces They would yell out Hey William Hey look it's William Digging in the garbage again At first I tried to explain The windmill But they just laughed And said Ah uh, Ewe You're wasting your time Ewe is kind of like Idiot This junk is good For nothing <clears throat> Even When I tried Sneaking past someone uh, Sneaking past Someone would spot me Through the open window And yell There goes a madman Off to smoke his Chamba And they, I found that part Hilarious So they called him like the Chamba boy, which Chamba is marijuana. So like he, nobody else even knew what a windmill was. People didn't, nobody is very highly educated in this area, especially this time. And, uh, again, 2% of 11 million people with electricity, barely any had education and most were just farmers and trying to survive. So, uh, yeah, so they would say there goes the man, man off to smoke his Chamba and Chamba's marijuana. So, Luckily, I find that part hilarious. So luckily, uh, I did have a few supporters and well-wishers. But Geoffrey had accepted an invitation from my uncle, Mazzuoli, to work at the maize mill in uh, Chippewamba. And that means that Gilbert was the only person who didn't laugh. So... His uh, friend, Geoffrey, was going to help him build this windmill, but sadly, he, he went to do this work on the farm, and, uh, and that was a friend that also wasn't able to go to school because of money, and uh, he says, finally, I decided that whenever someone shouted at me in the schoolyard, William, what are you doing in the garbage? I'd just smile and say... Nothing, only playing. That just shows true humility and uh, putting your ego aside. I really found a pretty nice lesson in that. And he learned a lot of lessons from his father. You know, in the beginning of the book, they talk a lot about these, uh, you know, witch doctor stories and kind of fairy tales and, uh, myth stories that um that they truly believed at those times so what is wrong with you she said oh sh- so uh you know when they didn't encounter him he just say nothing just playing these students immediately told their parents about the crazy boy in the scrapyard and soon my mother was getting an earful in the trading center now when i come home with my pieces she start stared at me and shook her said her head one day she came into my room quite worried what's wrong with you she said your friends don't behave this way. When you go to Gilbert's house, you don't see this kind of thing. I mean, look at this room. It looks like a madman's room. Only madmen collect garbage. That night, she told my father, he's never going to find a wife like this. And if he does, how could he care for her and feed his family? Leave the boy alone, my father said. Let's see what he's up. Let's see what's up his sleeve. I love that. His father is such an amazing man. So, He says, I was playing babo with some of my friends when a man pulled up in his truck. He was from Kasungu and needed some boys to help him load wood. I'll I'll pay 200 kwacha for the job, he said. I ran over waving my arms. I'm ready. I'll do it. And the man told me to jump in the back along with the other 10 boys. Work hard, guanuman. The others yelled, knowing I was lucky, I spent all afternoon throwing the logs in the truck, sweating in the sun, never so happy to be working in my life. With two hundred kawa, I would be. I was able to pay a welder to connect the shock absorber to the sprocket and made it spin. So he was building this uh, the windmill. The diagram for the windmill, and he didn't have any money to do so because remember his family was poor and he's super young at this point. I think he's like thirteen or fourteen, something like that. And uh, so he doesn't have any money. He's using the scrapyard and he doesn't have you know tools to weld things together to build a windmill. So you can imagine how insanely hard this would be. And uh, so so he, he picks up this job, which it was a huge uh, opportunity for him. And you know, as uh, Charlie Munger's grandfather said, uh, "Real opportunities are few and far between. Rare are those who can seize these opportunities." And William was able to seize these because he had the uh, this this really drive to build this and this thirst for uh, innovation and this thirst for knowledge. So he says, uh, "I was also." Uh, I also needed him to melt holes in the blades of the tractor fan so I could attach the blades of my windmill. Mr. Godston's shop was in the trading center under a grass-covered shelter near the Iponga shop. Even though I had the money for the job, Godston laughed when I walked up carrying my pieces. You want me to weld a broken shock absorber to a bicycle with one wheel, he asked, mocking me. Several others were playing bavo under a fig tree and overheard. Ah, look. The madman has come with his garbage. We've heard about you. Iwi. He's not a man, just a lazy boy who, want, who plays with toys. He's Masala. That Basically, all those words are just idiots and like worthless. You mean, that means crazy. Masala means crazy. i would grown tired of hearing these words. That's right, I said. I'm lazy Masala. But I know that I'm doing... Um, I know what I'm doing, and soon you'll all see. They laughed at me anyway. I then turned to God's thing. To answer your question, mister, I said... Weld the shock absorbers to the bicycle and make sure it's centered. And he had the money to pay for this, so they they basically were just mocking him because nobody had the uh, the willpower to innovate as William did. And it's such a powerful story. I just absolutely love this book. And uh, you know we will continue on. This is uh, part three of the Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kalamba and Brian Mueller. Absolutely inspiring story. Tomorrow we'll be uh, discussing part four, which might be the uh, we might be ending it. Just so interesting with his uh, trial and error, everybody in the village. You know, he has all this pressure from his parents now and his father's saying, what can we do? He's not able to go to school to gain more knowledge. He's purely relying on these books that Americans donated. And it's just such a powerful story. I absolutely loved it. And it really puts things in perspective for us in the Western world. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. And if you did, please consider leaving us a review and subscribe. Highly recommend you pick up The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, an amazing book about currents of electricity and hope created by William Kowamba. Thanks for listening and until next time.